Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. All right, so we are coming together because I believe that the Lord wants to do corporately what he's done in Nancy's body. He wants to bring alignment to our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. And there is a place, and I don't know why, but I I don't have to ask God why to just receive what he's done. But a couple of weeks ago, we sat as a staff, and Pastor Len had us go through and say, what are the gifts that God has given you? And I said, I've seen God heal through me. I don't boast about this, nor am I ashamed of this fact. It just is true. And I've gone to places and he hasn't healed, and I don't know why, but I know that today, as I have come expectant for him, I have fasted and prayed for this time with you, I believe that he wants to heal today. Many of us. Many of us. So I'm asking you to come with expectancy today. I'm asking you, because it wouldn't be right as the um, pastor, evangelist pastor, to do outside these walls, what I'm not doing inside these walls. It is for us first, church. You're my brothers and sisters. It's for us. If he's released healing through us, it should be for each other and then move out beyond these walls, right? We need to be healed in this place. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to do just what you want to do, bring alignment, healing, and strength. When I was in 10th grade, I went from a private school to a public, massive public school, and I didn't know a single soul. I navigated my way through the whole place in the morning, and it gets to that proverbial lunchtime, and I don't know anybody. And I make it through. I'd never bought my lunch at, like, a cafeteria before, so that took forever. But I get through 15 minutes later, and there's about 15 minutes left for lunch, and I walk out, and everybody is busy at their tables. Nobody's looking for the new girl. They're all new too. It's 10th grade. This is before 9th grade was added. So, so old am I. But anyway, we go out there and um, I go out there and there's nobody looking for me. And so I just walk right through those tables and out the door to sit on a bench by myself. And this moment comes over me as I'm looking out and I know exactly how to get home from there. I know that I could walk, it wasn't very far, from my high school to my front door, be inside, and never tell my mom. And then pray that something miraculous would happen next day so I didn't have to deal with that again. See, I had this threat of loneliness. I was threatened, and we know that that word threat means that there's a conflict. 
And when there's a conflict, we know now that that's an opportunity for God to grow us should we take his invitation to grow and to create peace between us and restore peace in our own lives and with our neighbor. But this survival mechanism kicked in, as we've talked about, and I wanted to flee. I wondered, would this day ever end? How would there be a different day than the one I'm living in right now? How would I get to a place that I wasn't living that day and that experience over and over? Ultimately, I was asking, how do I avoid this threat, this loneliness, this place? So I reasoned by the end of the lunchtime, okay, I've got to make some friends because none of the other stuff is going to be a legit option for me. So I go back into my classes and I start figuring out who has the same lunch period and I base my decisions on my friends on proximity. This is not always a very good indicator of friendship. Who's closest and who's like okay with my presence? I didn't even really need them to be that friendly, but who will let me sit with them? Who is going to allow me to be with them? Sometimes we would feel like having bad friends is better than having no friends at all. We reason this out in our mind and we justify these decisions that we make. And so that was my kind of stint in high school of having this bad group of friends. And we know them now culturally when we say this, it's frenemies. We call them our frenemies. We've stopped being picky about who we're hanging out with or the kind of life they are bringing us into. In the moment, it feels worth it, and there's this perceived loyalty. But ultimately, you know that they like you as long as you are participating in the same behavior. They don't really want you to grow in the ways that are good for you. And we still do the same thing when we're feeling threatened. We're still hanging out with the wrong crowd. We can't really trust them, but we want to use them to escape our own pain as long as it seems beneficial to us. Frenemies. They're not trustworthy. And we've invited them into our lives as believers. They're familiar. They want to make you believe that they're not really invasive, that they have good intentions, until you realize that they don't. And so as I sat in 10th grade one day with this group of people that, honestly, I can't even remember their names, I sat with them, and this girl comes up one Monday morning and says, you guys, I think something happened. I think I got saved this week, and I got to this church service, and I think I got saved, and here I am. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm like, this is rising in me until two kids next to me say, that didn't really happen. Jesus isn't real. That was an ex emotional experience you had, and I shrunk. Yes, me. I shrunk. I shrunk in my desire to avoid loneliness. I said nothing. And hasn't the Lord redeemed that story in me over and over again? Hallelujah. He's transformed my life, but I shrunk in that place because I felt threatened. And these friends that I thought were okay enough, now I realize, whoa, 
They don't know me at all. And I don't really know them, and I'm not so sure that we're actual friends. And what would happen if I said, it's not cool? We invite these frenemies into our lives very subtly. So let me introduce you to a few frenemies that I've had over the years. Have a couple here. These are my these are gonna be my frenemies tonight or today. Oh there you go. <laughs> All right, oops. Yeah, I'll hold this one. Yeah. All right, so I have a few frenemies. And these were ones that I worked with for a long time before the Lord transformed me. And so we have a list of these. There's far more. We have a list of them we're going to put up here. But I used deceit. And here's how frenemies work. Okay? I used deceit. And I would say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide behind this. I don't really want... Because I also had this um, insecurity, which is rooted in fear. So I was like, I have this fear and security, but this isn't enough of a guard. So I'm going to hide behind deceit too. So if somebody says something about me and I don't really like the answer because I'm insecure, I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie and then, or I'm going to exaggerate or I'm going to omit something to make myself look better because I also have this frenemy of fear that is all of my insecurities. And then I would say, okay, I'm, I'm having this fear, and now it's a panic attack. It's turned into a panic attack. So now, here I am, my friend Isolation comes around, and I say, okay, Isolation, you got to guard me because I don't want to have a panic attack in front of people, so I need to isolate from everybody. And these people, these frenemies, these enemies of God that I've become friendly with stand now between me and vulnerability with God and with people. I've insulated myself with these frenemies. All right. Now, there's two, these are two ways that we can identify them, how they come. We either come because we've partnered with them, or they're there and we don't even recognize it. We are walking along trying to be transformed in Christ when suddenly we're like, what's going on? Why can't I go anywhere? How come my life isn't being renewed? And suddenly these frenemies have a hold on us that we didn't even realize as we're walking towards eternity. And guess what, my friends? The place that I'm going, they're not called to go. So they're not going to try to go with me. They know their end point. So every time I try to walk in the fullness of God's glory, they're going to hold me back until I say enough. Enough. I don't partner with you. I love you guys, though. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to go be by myself. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Thank you. Okay, so, so then we, thank you. So we walk into these places, and I'm asking us today to consider for a minute why in the world we would partner with these here when we're not going to have them in eternity. Why would, be, why would we be okay with them at the party of the kingdom of God here if they're not allowed into the party, they're not invited into the party in eternity? I'm asking us to consider that we would walk in the fullness of God's plan and his kingdom here on earth. That we would say, no, we're done with you. We've seen your scheme and your assignment against us. You're not our real friends. You are 
frenemies. So, as these come into our lives, our sinful attitudes breed this behavior. It's this way of our heart that turns slightly towards the things that are not of God, and suddenly we find ourselves wrapped in this dysfunctional behavior. Over and over and over it goes. Dysfunctional behaviors, our sinful attitudes eventually will become dysfunctional behaviors because our, par- our posture becomes our partnership. Whichever way we're leaning towards is the place that we've partnered It's just like when Nancy had that nerve pain for so long, or if if you've ever had a back pain, you start to compensate for that pain by limping. Your posture shifts, and now you've partnered all the more with that pain. Here it is, until it moves me again. Here it is, until it moves me again. You continue to partner in agreement with that thing. James 4 James talks about what happens, how this comes so subtly. He explains what is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other. Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Saying there's a root, there's a sin issue in the heart. And the more that we lean into that sin issue, that attitude that we think, ah, it's not too active, it's really subtle, it's not a big deal then we begin to partner in that dysfunctional behavior more and more and more until it's outside of our heart, in our bodies, in our will, in our emotions. He says the battle begins within you. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it for your asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. He's saying, if you would ask God for things, you would recognize that the thing God wants to give you is a new heart, a transformed life. And then as you seek him, all of these other things will be added. Our requests to the Lord... Though he hears all of them, it's for a contrite heart, one that is surrendered before him. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair with an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy, frenemies. We can't unhear this. Don't check out. It's so important. It's so important. Sin desires us to stay friends because it knows that our agreement keeps us from the filling of God's presence. The Lord wants to establish his peace, though, and he will. But these friends that we're trying to keep have to go. So here's what I kept seeing in my mind. is this picture of when we're this vessel and we receive God's faith and power and his heart and his salvation and he fills our vessel with rocks. He fills our vessel with rocks. 
so that when he pours the water in, all of that, as it pours out, if this were like a stream, like the Bible talks about, an ever-flowing stream, a constant river of flowing water through us and in us, it would just, that, those stones are going to filter out anything that gets corrupted in there. But some of us go through periods and trials and things, and we've said, I receive you, God. So this doesn't mean that we're not a part of, as believers, we're a part of eternity. We're a part of the, the plans and the prepared table that God has for us in heaven. But we've said, I want this part of you, Lord, but I also want to hold on to this other stuff. We haven't let him transform that, to pull that out. Now, he's covered us like these rocks are. He covers us with his salvation. But our water is murky. And as I sat with this on my counter all week, I had a different one. Every time it would go to shake or it would be moved around, the water would muddy more. Or if I poured more water in it, the water would muddy more. And as the same with us, as things begin to shake in our lives, suddenly things get really muddy and murky. And I've had this thing, not this one, but another one, on my counter for a few days, and it never got clear on its own. We cannot be cleared on our own. That's what Nikki was talking about, being poor in spirit, saying, I'm just a vessel, God, and I can't do any of this work on my own. Though I try, it would be foolish of this vessel to try to get the dirt out of itself. It needs to be poured out. And that's what God is inviting us to. Who would want to drink this? Nobody wants to drink this water. We want to drink this one. The people around us in our lives, they want this water from us. That's what God's called us to. That's what he invites us to. He calls his disciples, be perfect as I am perfect. How was Jesus perfect? He let the Lord renew and restore him. He didn't strive to get this stuff out of his life, though he was perfect. He said, come to me and let me search your heart. So there are some things as we partner with this that's going to be evidenced in our life. And there's dysfunctional behaviors that come. And dysfunction is this behavior that disables and disrupts the way I am designed to function. We can recognize dysfunction in our lives, dysfunctional behavior, because it disables and disrupts the way I am designed to function. So that's your ping. You know, I got to go to the Holy Spirit because there's some things in my life that aren't designed to function this way. And it needs certain conditions to, in order to increase. So dysfunction has to have certain conditions in order to increase. And as it increases, it develops certain conditions. And so some evidence of dysfunction, we've talked about some other ones in the weeks prior, but dysfunction would be those places where it really needs a supernatural um, peacemaking strategy. Okay? Some of the other ones are going to be where people are are when we're emotionally healthy and we can talk through some language. But when there's real dysfunctional behavior, we've, we've sat in that posture, right, that like, oh, my back is hurting for so long that we can't stand up straight anymore. This is the dysfunctional behavior that comes. And it needs some conditions to increase. There's an addictive quality to it. So addiction 
is to a substance or a process. It takes over our lives and we are submitted to its power. It serves to alter the mood or help us escape. The abuse of chemicals or addiction to chemicals are drugs, alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, and sugar. Or there's an abuse of a process or like something that's more tangible. This would be money, sex, pornography, gambling, shopping, and gaming. I had a candy crush issue a few years back, you guys. I'm not kidding. They knew how to get me. How do you know if somebody is addicted? They lie. This is an indicator. Dysfunction breeds dysfunction. They will lie about even little lies. They've partnered with lying, and that's one of their guards. Abuse of processes. The next one is compulsive behaviors. These are your isms, the perfectionism, these obsessive disorders that we have. I got to make sure the door is locked five times or these different things. And we label these things, but there's also perfectionism, workaholism, dogmatism, and then these preoccupations that we have, these obsessive compulsive disorders. There's codependent behavior. And this is the, runs the gambit on our peacemaking slippery slope, that these would be on the outer edges. Peacemaking strategies in these places aren't going to work, which is why we're talking supernatural healing today. Codependent behavior is addictive relationships that must have at least two parties to play out the dysfunctions, addicts and codependents. For a codependent, the substance they're addicted to is the person. It is the same thing. It's just that you're addicted to that person. The codependent stabilizes the situation so it doesn't collapse and prevents the addict from feeling the full consequences of his or her behavior. The addict continues to be protected from the full weight of their addiction or compulsive behavior. This is not love. And I'm telling you, in love, parents, we have done this a lot with our children. We have become codependent on them and their reactions to things and we have not afforded the know that love requires sometimes. No, that thing is not good for you. No, you should not be doing that. No, you're not going to go there. But because we become codependent, we want to keep everything from them suffering. And so we've, we've allowed these behaviors in our kids that we cannot allow. We've allowed these things in our siblings and our parents that love requires boundaries and it's okay because my identity does not rest in how you feel about me I'm sorry if you're hurting and I want to help you and through Jesus restoration will come and I'm going to partner with him to transform you to see you transformed that's what our restoration value is I'm going to partner with God as he transforms you I'm here with you the last one is, if we, don't have this scape, if we don't have this codependency, we'll create a scapegoat. Somebody who's going to bear all the symptoms of all of our problems, like the black sheep of the family, if there's constantly one who's always getting the blame, well, when they leave, it'll probably be a lot easier. Our life will be so much easier. And when we're church hopping, this happens a lot. It's that pastor, it's that thing he said one time, it's that way that they are sometimes. 
that one piece of ideology that I just can't get past, and so maybe I'll do, maybe I'll find a different church, and we skip and move on. Don't we know, by the way, that as believers, we're going to see each other in heaven? Like, we're going to spend eternity with each other? And I think sometimes we're kind of like, you know, by heaven, though, all will be revealed. And in our own self-righteousness, I think we're kind of like, you'll know I was right. (laughs) You'll see that I was right that whole time, and then we'll be good. And God's saying, no, beloved, I've called you to more. Be on earth as you are in heaven. Be on earth who I've called you to be in heaven. All right. So where do we see these things happening? We see Jesus in Mark 11 flipping tables. We see some of these dysfunctions play out. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the the temple courts, it says, and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he recognizes the behavior, the isms and the addictions, this gambling, this cheating, these things that are now coming into the temple of God, the most holy place where everyone was called and invited to come. And and there's cheating happening. There's lying. There's inflation. There's idolatry. And he's flipping the tables and restoring order. That's why he was turning them over. They didn't belong there. And the last verse says, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. He put up a boundary and said, Not in my house. This is not going to happen. And what happened? They scapegoated him. And he ultimately took that place for us, praise God. But they made him the symptom bearer, and that's why they planned to kill him. We aren't the problem over here. You are, is what they said to Jesus. But Jesus was angry because they thought it was okay to bring their friend, the spirit of mammon, which is the love of money, into the temple. They were cheating their neighbors during a time of worship because they didn't trust God to provide. We are not created to be friends with sin or to partner with sin, to be in sin. It is against our design. These two are not meant to coexist, which is why he covers us with his love. He was saying, these things don't belong here. This is not the design of this place where my presence resides. And through the cross, he did all that. Do you see what we have done when we invite these frenemies into our lives? Subtly, little by little, we say it's okay to come in. It is the same as those people inviting that stuff into God's temple because we know that the Spirit of God no longer dwells in a house that can be moved or torn down. It dwells in us. And so for us to partner with the frenemies of this world, the friends of this world, is against God's design for us.
The sinful posture of our heart will result in unholy partnership. But praise God, holy partnership will restore humble posture. The moment that we are crouched over like this and we say, this is not my inheritance. Infirmity is not my inheritance. Sickness and disease is not my inheritance. Lord, may it be your will that I would walk on earth today as you have created me for heaven. May it be your will. I receive your will for my life, for healing. And then our humble posture focuses on the God who was and is and who is to come. And we align properly with the spirit of truth in our lives. How do we do this? Matthew 11, 20, 25, 28 and 29 says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's inviting us. He's inviting us. And the longer that we hold on to these, the longer that we become complicit in the enemy's scheme. We, as the body of Christ, need to be understanding. We need to understand this word complicity. It's the state of being involved with others in an illegal activity or a wrongdoing. And I'm telling you, my friends, there is a scheme and an enemy and a wrongdoing assignment against you. And now that you know that, what will you do? What will you do? Will you be complicit in the enemy's schemes for you or your friends or your family? Or will you say, no, I see you, and you have no authority here. If we don't, we are like Pontius Pilate washing our hands of a crime that we have allowed. That's what he did the day he sentenced Jesus. He allowed that crime to take place, but then he washed his hands saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this, even though he did. As believers, we cannot afford to be complicit in the schemes of the enemy. And I don't pronounce any guilt or condemnation. What I'm saying is don't be the one that's got your hands tied behind your back. I want truth to come to you so that salvation and transformation and restoration can be yours. Don't drink from this cup. Drink from this cup. Please. The world needs this. It has enough of this muddy water. It needs this, you guys. How do we get there? The psalmist understood this and knew that it was not up to him to clean out the muddy waters of the heart. So in Psalm 139, he says, Lord, can't you see how I despise those who despise you? For I grieve when I see them rise up against you. I have nothing but complete hatred and disgust for them. Your enemies shall be my enemies. And this is where he gets it. We are not our enemies. Your Last neighbor week. is not your enemy. The this enemy is a high that we can degree be angry of cooperation. At for, for this mess is our enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's Satan and his design and his scheme to limit the capacity and the expansion of the kingdom of peace. 
And you, beloved, are not one who shrinks back like I did in 10th grade and sits there and does nothing and says nothing. You, as Hebrews says, are of those who stand firm and have faith and are healed. That is your inheritance. That is your identity. That is what he came for. That is what we're moving to. Let eternity in your life start today. Let it start today. It is as simple as the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our Father, who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Good. On earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done. Trust has to be nurtured and protected as it is in heaven. Psalm 139 continues, and it says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that every single affliction that comes to you It's a scheme of the enemy. It is not the way of God. But I give much more priority to God's design for me than the affliction of the enemy. He gets more of my understanding. I want to understand more of his ways than I care to understand the ways of the enemy. Because I know who my God is, and he'll move through. He will pour his water in me, and all that dirt will come out. He wants to move us. And we have to partner with him to actually make us as he designed us. Today, I believe we are like that man at the pool of Bethsaida. And if you know that story, he sits there and he has been labeled as lame. I believe God permitted him to go through that so that the glory would be revealed. And I believe there's glory that the Lord wants to reveal to us today in the same way. So this man who's sitting by the pool, lame for years, Jesus comes to him and he asks him one question. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And the man who's sitting there He begins to talk about his identity as being lame. Well, I'm lame, so I can't get to this pool where the healing is. Do you see how he thinks he's responsible for the healing that's coming? The Messiah is standing before him and saying, do you want to be well? Has nothing to do with this pool? Has nothing to do with the label that's been imposed on you? Or what has been afflicting you? It has everything to do with me. And my glory being revealed through you. Do you want to be well? Or are we content with our frenemies? The guard that they've placed around us. Or the excuses that we now have because they hold us back. Do we want to be well? We can't do much more if we don't want to be well. 
We won't walk or run or go if we don't want to be well. We will stay as we are until we reach heaven and realize what all the fuss is about. Whoa, that's a way better way to walk. Do we want to be well? If so, then the Lord has given us hope as a gift and prayer as our strategy. It is that simple for peacemaking within us. Prayer is our strategy. In Psalm 139, the psalmist continues to say, Search me, O God, know my inmost thoughts. But Oswald Chambers explains it like this. He says in Psalm 139, the psalmist realizes that he is too big for himself. And he prays, O Lord, explore me, search me out, and see if there is any way of grief in me. Trace out the dreams of my dreams, the motives of my motives. Make these right and lead me in the way everlasting. What we call deliverance from sin is not deliverance only from conscious sins. It is the deliverance from sin in God's sight. And he can see down into regions I know nothing about. And my grief is that we would let him, that we would let him search us like that. To be vulnerable and to trust him. He's so worthy of our trust. He is so trustworthy. If I could give you one bit of faith, it would be in that. That he is trustworthy. He's not angry or mad at you. He loves you so much. He wants this life for you. He wants this life for you. Beth Moore, great Bible teacher, she went and um, wrote a book on John 15, which is about the vineyard, and she planted a vineyard. And she was recently talking about how she had to cut back the vineyard. It was time for pruning. And so as we go into this time of breaking these unholy partnerships, of saying, I don't want to be, friend I don't want to be friends with the enemies of God anymore. They're not my friends. I'm done with that. We're going to have breakups today and healing today and restoration today. And it's this pruning that she talks about. And she says this, sometimes growing looks a lot like shrinking. No vine produces quality fruit without being pruned by the gardener. And pruning can feel a lot like killing. But make no mistake, it's not meant to kill us. It's meant to kill only what is compromising our quality fruit. I have hopes for some good grapes, but first I have to come at them with the shears. All the while I clip away, I will say you are my beautiful beloved. I enjoy you so. He enjoys you so. And he wants you to enjoy the kingdom that he has provided for you and to not live in a place of anxiety or fear or infirmity anymore. He wants you to be well, beloved. Do you want to be well? Do you stand with me?